ninth chapter. Now, you hear a lot of complaints here and there, and I've already been told that somebody said I was pretty loud. Well, now, some people are loud, and some are not, and some people just don't make up their bed, and some do. Now, some of you won't know what we're talking about, but somebody does. <laughs> All right, and also we have some requests or demands, whatever the case may be, for uh, some fellowship with Rose and Claire Church. And I can't imagine why that would want to be. I guess they just enjoy the spirit of it, all I know. But I, I will say this, in all sincerity, you, you get with us as to when that's supposed to be, the trip to Lincoln Land. And we also are going to make some arrangements for some type of youth fellowship. They have in Rose and Claire are surrounding communities, they have a youth rally, and that just takes in the uh, area there. It would be hard for us to get the youth rally to come here, but there is a possibility that we could go there, and then perhaps ever so often we could make uh, a youth fellowship between our church and the Rosenclair and uh, the Gulf Common Church. We will work on that sincerely, and I appreciate uh, just just in all seriousness, I do appreciate the request. There's nothing wrong with young people wanting to be with young people. Nothing wrong with that at all. So we appreciate that. And we will work on it. And you just you just stay with us and uh, let us know when they're planning that. And then we will try to arrange to get something worked out. We'll find when the dates are for their area youth rally. Perhaps we can get someone interested. Uh, take a car or something there, and then we'll try our best to get something to work between us and them. They owe that to me. Great, <laughs> so All right, I want to read to you tonight from the 15th verse, 17th chapter of Acts. says, And they conducted Paul, and they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a commandment in the Silas and Timotheus, or to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city wholly given to idolatry. And I want to read that in the light of the way it reads in the original. It says, Now while Paul waited, for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred with passion in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. One of them says he was baptized with holy anger, one of the commentaries. But mostly, this one reads from the original, his spirit was stirred with passion when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And in Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 35th verse, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And 
This one also, from the original reads, he was moved with passion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Now, if my wife will come, we've made quite a drawing. I don't teach from a board, but I want you to look at that, and uh, the top of it is just to play on words. But this would explain what passion is and why that word was used in that area. I think you can hear me if I get down here without any problem whatsoever. The scripture admonishes us that we must be two-faced. Like I said, that's a play on words. A lot of people despise two-faced people. But if you'll stay with me, the word that is translated passion, actually from the Greek, is S-P-L-A-C-H-M-A. Lashna is passion. And that is love, zeal, and deep interest, hate and rage and anger, existing in and being exercised in the same person at the same time. Now, I realize if we're not careful, we'll say that's impossible. Because this has become alien to us as individuals and alien, I'll say, to the majority of the churches. But this existed in the life of Christ and it also existed in the life of the early church. And passion comes to being when revival starts to happen. Yes. And this is an ingredient that is missing. Look at it again. Two-faced. An individual has to be able to love the souls of the hurt and the weary and wounded and dying. And at the same time, hate the sin and evil and the cause of all the hurt and the misery and the loneliness. That is a complete necessity to have passion. Now we have a lot of definitions of passion. Our English dictionary gives us several. But I'm coming from the original Greek word and what it says and what it means. So actually, in a sense, in order to have passion, in order to be stirred, we do have to be two-faced. We do have to have one face and one attitude toward the hurt and the weary and the wounded and the dying, as well as a complete reverse attitude toward that which causes it. Right. I realize and say, well, that's impossible. Yet, this is the very ingredient that is missing in our lives and in our churches as a whole today. I don't know what about you, but I haven't been concerned as of late as to what the reason is that we cannot have a revival. Now for the most part, very few churches are is experiencing revival. Even the larger ones are more or less getting by on what they have. Or there's an outbreak here and there. But I'm talking about a revival that changes not only a few lives, but a revival that changes entire towns. Yes. And has in the past changed entire nations. Come on. Entire continents has been under the influence of revival. Now, I'm concerned, and I've read a lot on some of them that uh, brought revival. Whitfield and Finney and Wesley and all of 
all you can go and search their lives as to what ingredient that they had that is missing from my life and that is missing from your life and that is missing as unit from the church. I found many things actually that they did that we failed to do now. But the first ingredient they received and had was passion. The ability to love yes. that soul that was floundering and the ability to hate that same power that kept them in bondage. Now, I think the thing that hurts today, and I'm guilty, and you'll have to take the mirror for yourself. If, if uh, you're guilty, then fine. And if you're not, why well, you just forget about it. But apathy and lethargy has ripped the heart, unbeknownst to most of us, has ripped our heart. It's so much of love is not as it should be. Concern is not as it should be. And certainly, there is not that feeling of hatred toward that which binds the powers of the enemy. Now, I say that, are the powers of those that are God. I say that because most of the time we're able to rub shoulders with it and walk right along with it, and it doesn't seem to bother us. Now, it used to be the old-timers preached hell so hot that people believed there was a hell. And most of the time anymore, hell is hardly ever mentioned. And most of the time they had a gospel that was so regular and so straight and no deters about it whatsoever that made people know it had to be this way or they would miss the kingdom of God. Now this was caused by a passion, by a love for souls that was lost and a hatred for that which kept them bound. Now our example Jesus his whole life was one filled with passion. Every place he went, he hated evil with as much passion as he loved good. And you can see the results of that in his life. We just read a particular scripture where he was moved with compassion. He was filled with passion. He loved them with a deep interest in their plight. He was concerned about them. That was the scripture 9.33 of Matthew. But by the same token there, burned within him a rage against that which was responsible for their situation. Amen. And this existed all at the same time in this place where God embodied Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of times we feel that Jesus was not capable of rage, that he was not capable of hatred, but he had a rage against evil, and had a hatred against evil, and burned with that same passion of hatred and rage, as he did with love and compassion and desire for his souls. It was this deep passion of Jesus that drew men to him. Yes. They knew he loved them, but by the same token, they were fully aware that when they came into his presence, that he would hate the evil that was there. You'll see that he didn't mention words. When the scribes and Pharisees came to them, he called them hypocrites and generation of vipers. Not that he didn't love them, but he had a hatred against that which motivated them. And by the same token, he turns right around and with outstretched arms preached to multitudes that throngs around about him. This was passion in action. This was fashion in action. This was the ability to love and hate on the opposite 
to have a deep interest and have a rage and an anger burning within you all at the same time. Now I ask you, sincerely, as I've asked myself the question, is that resident in your life? I mean, still sometimes we can sit next to it, and it never seems to affect us. Or maybe we get a little bit uncomfortable when it's there, but is there a burning rage against something there in that life? It was Jesus that came and it was love on time. In other words, love burned coming, and it was anger in action. When he saw what was happening, he didn't sit down by it. He became concerned by it and began to pronounce judgment upon it. And by the same token, with outstretched arms, reached them. It was rage in the body of Jesus against the evil forces, all embodied in this one man acting simultaneously or at the same time. Now, passion is not passion unless it can love with that fervency and hate with the same fervency at the same time. Passion is not passion. And because of that reason, visions fade. And we need to recognize that. And we need to start to work upon our own individual lives. And see if we have not grown a little bit callous to the sin that surrounds us. Or a little bit apathetic of those souls that seem to blunder only into the pits of hell and pass us by almost every day without a word of caution or warning from any of us. You see, passion has been the spearhead of every great revival in a church, in a town, or in a nation. And it's not something that you just say, I'm going to have it, and it happens. It's something that's sought after. It's something that's suffered for, and it's a life that's given completely over to Christ. Until there comes a time when we cannot set by sin and condone it, we have to speak out. There comes a time when we cannot rub shoulders with somebody that we know is not ready for Christ and his coming until we at least mention to him about the blood of Jesus. That's passion. That's what is needed. And it has to work at the same time. Now, I believe that that same passion that Jesus had, that the Apostle Paul had, that Wesley had, that Whitfield had, and that scores of others have set coffins on fire, I believe that same passion has to find its way into our lives and has to find its way into our churches. Because there has to come a time when the streets will run red with the power of God. There has to come a time when souls that's never been challenged will be challenged. And this cannot be. God cannot, well, He could, but He won't. You see, God has limited himself when he set his church in motion and said, upon this one, I'll build my church and he did build it that day on Pentecost Then he embodied his whole program in his church. And he limited himself. All action in this world has to come through God's church and God working through his church. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of promotion that's going on now. Every pastor uh, is beset with ideas and opinions. Now, I haven't been there long enough to be beset with any of those, so I can feel real secure in going on with it. But every pastor is 
There's uh, different ideas and opinions, and uh, many of them try them. But I believe in some of the modern up-to-date methods to increase church membership, but still by the same token, in spite of all the majors we have, and to do it without this passion I'm talking about, it's the height of something. The early church was born in an age of corruption, where every law law was violated without any without any conscience at all. So that leaves us in our day without excuse. You see, excuse after excuse is this. Well, this, this is a bad day we're living in. This is a day when nobody is concerned about Jesus Christ. And I grant you that. But there, there hasn't ever been a day like the day when the church was born. Have you ever studied whenever the Apostle Paul went and established the churches in Corinth and in Galatia? Did you ever study those cities? Have you seen the wickedness that was there? Have not one single solitary soul heard knew about the baptism of the Holy Ghost or even about the suffering of Jesus? And more decay was everywhere. It was disintegrating the whole cities. And yet, the Apostle Paul went in to such as this with a message. Now what happened? He burned with passion. He found women by the riverside and ministered to them and they burned with passion. He went into the synagogues and began to tell what Jesus was and what he did and converted them and filled with the, had them filled with the power of God and they burned with the same passion. They burned with a rage against that which was responsible for the situation in their town. You see, once Paul got believers together, regardless of how few, they must not content to go sit in their uh, a little group, so to speak, or down by the riverside, or what have you. They weren't allowed to gather in the synagogue. If Paul went to minister there, he had to go alone and face the doctors and lawyers and scribes and Pharisees of that day. Had they had to gather by themselves, which they did, had they was not satisfied with this, because surrounding them was cities filled with idolatry, immorality, and debauchery, and sin, and lewdness, which would make our day, uh, uh, make us much in our day. How what was in those towns and surrounding communities, and yet a few people burning with passion, hating the evil, loving the soul, being motivated by that, set those towns on fire, and 50,000 souls in Corinth were saved. Out of a city of 150,000, Paul garnered 50,000 souls. Right. <laughs> well, we ought to be able to do just about as good. Deep passion. Things that Jesus has for us. Now, what we have here is members in there have, have very little wealth. They had no social prestige. They were without the advantages and the many privileges that we have today. So you see, they, they have no way of contact, many disadvantages, but yet they still burn with that compassion, that passion, a passionate love for the soul, a passionate hatred for that which bound the soul. Now when we study the book of Acts, we become deeply aware of the deep driving passion of the lives of those that follow Christ. We find the fervor in which they delivered each message that inspires us. 
They had a passion which made their preaching positive, persistent, and persuasive. Now, if we are not careful, we would like to put a lid on the gospel. You know, I've heard it said this, such and so really doesn't believe exactly like we believe, so kindly soft peddling a little bit because we don't want to lose that. And I want you to notice how positive, as well as persistent and persuasive, that these people were. Peter stood up upon the first day with the first message, pointed his finger in their face, and said, You have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, my Lord, that's not a soft peddling message, is it? That's not a willy-nilly way of approaching something in our The way people want us to do today, we would just go to them and say, Come here, we love you, but, but did you know that you did something just a little bit wrong? I know it was three years since you did it, but it was just a little bit wrong. And, and instead, he pointed his finger right in the face and said, You crucified the Lord of glory. And with such persuasion and such passion, he didn't hate these people. He loved them. Friend, if you love people, truth will out. Hallelujah, I'm getting excited. <laughs> and laugh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see, love unfolds its arms when you tell people the truth. A lot of people disassociate from that, but it is so. If you really love somebody, you'll be truthful with them. If you're really concerned about their soul, you'll open the biblical understanding of the Bible to them, regardless of whether they disagree with this or not. You'll show them by the Scripture. Somebody refuses the Scripture, they're refusing God and not you. You see, oftentimes we try to persuade with their own ideas and their own opinions, but always use the Bible. See that it's there, and with such persuasion, and such power, and with such conviction, and so positive washing with it, that they were pricked in their heart. And he said, men and brethren, what shall we do? I realize this is old hat, but it's pertinent to what we're talking about, about passion, what it will do. Peter didn't hate these people. He didn't willy-nilly around and say, well, uh, well, you kind of, you really should, you really should repent, you know. It would be nice if you would. And uh, then if they do that, say, now, maybe you ought to be baptized. It doesn't make a difference uh, how you baptize. You know, you can be sprinkled or dry clean or plunged or, or whatever. It doesn't make any difference how you baptize. doesn't really make any difference what they say over you. Why is it that way? Because we're failing as members and as ministers to have passion enough, stirred up enough with the love of God to tell people the truth yes. and be able to set on fire the course of hell. And Peter said, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A clear cut answer. And an answer in which they simply had to accept. Nothing could stop them. Threatenings and punishment only served to fan the flames of the passion that they had. You know, oftentimes threatenings and people setting us aside and laughing at us sometimes and mocking us sometimes will set us on the sidelines. But it only served at the Apostles' Day and during the Dark Ages, it only served to make them more solid in what they believed. It stirred up the hatred of that which would try to bind them. 
And oftentimes again, like I said, we can sit knowing that a person is wrong in his view, knowing he's wrong in his opinion, knowing full well it's not consistent with the Bible, and if we're not careful, we'll backslap, we'll pat around, we'll soft pedal. And what I'm trying to say is passion will not allow this. True passion will not allow. We'll love the soul enough that we'll tell the truth and hate the evil that blinds them enough that we'll tell the truth. All of this is working in us at the same time. It was passion. Over the centuries, the church has seen the flame of passion rise and fall. Study some of your books once in a while uh, of the revival of how it sweeps in. You find men, women, boys, and girls that, that set on fire with a passion for Christ, passion against evil, and revival will happen. And then all at once, we, instead of fanning the flames of revival, we sit down and try to rest upon the merits of what happened or what has been. You know, the biggest mistake of most people today is we're living in the past and we're living in the future and we've completely forgotten that there is a present. Right. Amen? Yeah. So much of the time we can look back in the past and say, oh, it used to be. And then we look to the future and say, what is going to be? And then we're not in the past and we're not in the future. We're in the present. What about what could be now? What must be now? We're living today. Souls are dying today. And we need to burn with a purpose in our heart that would get us out of our uh, schoolboy and schoolgirl attitude and get us on the streets and on the roads and the highways, highways and hedges, down on our knees, suffering, agonizing, and being concerned about a world that's lost and dying. How a lot of people say, well, they don't care. They're not concerned about God. I want to make this one thing clear. You'd be surprised how many people that's outside of the doors of this church that does care, that is concerned, have a like to have somebody with some solidity enough about them to tell them the truth. Amen. I remember one time, it's been some years ago, and the old saying was, tell it like it, it ought to be. Tell it like it is. Tell it like it ought to be. And one man came to me one time and said, tell it like it ought to be. It's the way it is. He said, I just, just don't tell it like it ought to be. Tell it like it is now. Tell it like it is now. And this is what the world needs. Uh, churches have been set on fire. Conference has been on, set, set on fire. Our nation has experienced revival time and time again. And then there's been times when the flame has flickered and nearly went out. I would like to say probably we're in such a time as that now. And there's a great need for evangelism in our day. But again, as I said, there is passion versus promotion. It's not hard to get a promotion given. It's not hard to get somebody in that can tell you all kinds of ways to increase your church membership. But I think we often measure what we're increasing church membership with. Are we concerned about filling empty pews just to fill them? Are we concerned about a soul that saved from the pits of hell had an on their way to heaven. You see, there is a difference. When evangelism is passion, it's concerned with lost souls. When it's promotion, it's concerned with statistics. You know, how many is in Sunday school? How many is on the road? How many is coming every day? <laughs> I, I laugh a lot of times when I tell this. 
almost every place I go, I say, well, how's your church? How's it doing? Oh, we've got all oh, so many in Sunday school. Well, I said, that's fine. How many of you got Wednesday night prayer service? And they don't ever want to talk about Wednesday night prayer service. And I don't know why. <laughs> Come on. Does anybody know why? <laughs> because statistics is hardly as high, you know. Right. You know, for, for the most part, down Rosie Clare, we were very fortunate. We had a problem to go out for Bible study than we had out for Sunday school. That's true. Because people were concerned about uh, growing on the Word of God. You know, when you minister, when you preach, you just get the high spot. And leave somebody around sometimes they're just bouncing from one high spot to another, not really know where they've been. And real good, serious Bible study is for the individual that wants to grow, that is concerned about the things in the Word of God, and concerned about enriching their own lives, and by enriching their own lives, they can be souls. Amen. A baby never marries a baby. It takes an adult to do that. Also, when this evangelism is passion, it's used to advance the kingdom of God. When it's promotion, it's used to enlarge an institution. Mm -hmm. I very often come short. When I was in Rosie Claire, I had to stop off times and ask myself the question, what is my reason for wanting growth? And I have to be very truthful and honest. Why do I want growth? Is it because it looks good? Whenever I send in a report, is it because it sounds good when I talk to other ministers? Is it because whenever I look out and see the pews full, it gives me a feeling of swelling of pride? Or do I want growth because souls are lost and dying and undone? And people are suffering or are sick and are afflicted and need a touch of God? Which one is it? I am not the only one that must be faced. With that issue, all of us want to be faced with that. Why do we want growth? We want growth here. We're concerned about growth here. That's our primary interest about growth here. But friend, just to double our efforts or double our attention, triple our attendance by promotional gimmicks will not increase the value of what we have one iota. But if we can get a burning desire to see souls saved and to see bodies alleviating the suffering of one individual, and I'm not saying this against growth. We want it. We need it. But we need first to find out why do we want it. We, do we want it to prove something to somebody? Do we want it to prove something to the people perhaps have left? Perhaps have been a little adversity? Do we want to prove to them how this place can be filled again? If that's what it is, we just well forget it. You see, we've suffered. You've kept the doors open. And it has to be more than a reason just to prove something to somebody. Why am I here? I ask myself the question. Is it to prove to somebody that I can build again from scratch? Why am I here? Because there's a burden for souls to lost. Because there's a burden for you and a love for you and a desire for you and to know that you deserve more and the powers of hell have allowed to have You see, I have to face the issue. And you have to face the issue too. Yes. Because until we do, until we fully face it and start in, there will be nothing. 
get interested in his souls. His, his soul, I'm concerned. Does the passion beat in my heart? And when I see sin enveloped an individual, does it create an anger and a rage inside me? I went to Oklahoma, city close to that in Norman, Oklahoma, to preach a funeral of a grandmother. How old was Ty? Two years old? Thirteen months old, little bouncing baby boy. Had it been born to a couple that had prayed for a boy, and God, they said, answered their prayer. And in a tragic automobile accident, it snuffed the life of the boy and the life of his grandmother. I was called there to preach that funeral in Norman, Oklahoma. And I walked in there to that funeral home. I looked down at the face of that fat little boy laying there with his grandmother. There's something overwhelmed me that I don't remember ever experienced before. There was love and pity and compassion for those that were there and weeping, but there welled up within me an anger and a rage that the powers of hell could creep in and snatch away life just like that without anybody standing up against it. I thought God somewhere, someplace. Now I just don't believe whatever's to happen will happen. And I just don't believe that God does all the taking. I believe the powers of hell is loose. I believe that he's an author of death himself. The powers of hell is. And I believe a lot of times death comes because people are not on their prayer bone and churches are not where they ought to be and saints are not where they ought to be. I can't help but believe that. And I don't mean to be harsh. I don't mean to be hard. I, I, want, I want you to know this. Right off. That I don't know any other way of ministering, only how God gives it to me and telling you the truth. But I want you to always remember whatever I say and however I say it. I love you from the depths of my heart. It wasn't pride that brought me here. It wasn't desire to do something on my own that brought me here. And I was here the first night and something moved in my soul. Something moved in my heart. Something I love embraced. And whatever I say or whatever I do, it's not because I am Christianized or I don't like it, and it's because there has created a love inside, and I want to see us do something. Amen. For God. Yes. Not for us. Hallelujah. When evangelism is passion, it's a privilege to perform. I've had to look at this a lot. When is promotion, pressure, and strain exist? In the performance of its duties, and that's the best measure, if I know. And I don't mind telling you, I've got to fall on my face a lot of times when this thing just seems to be a strain to move. Friend, if it's passion, if it's like an ordinary, we'll find it a privilege to be up kind of about our Father's business. Yes. We'll find it a privilege to be in the house of God. We'll find it a privilege to intercede. We'll find it a privilege to witness. We'll find it a privilege to pray. We'll find it a privilege to say. We'll find it a privilege to testify. Everything will be a privilege. But it's the other thing. If it's promotion, if we're on a promotion team, if it's just for the sake of doing something, there's a pressure in it. There's a strain in it. I know this from experience. There was one time in Rosie Claire that God placed it on our hearts that we would make a complete sweep of the town. We divided, of course, it's a little bit smaller than this. We divided it off by streets, and we'd make a complete sweep of it. 
and we'd get the names where they went to church, if they went to church, and we'd witness to them, and this we did. And it was progress. It was easy. It was a privilege. But then after a few years, it worked so good that we decided that it would be nice to do it, and God wants me to do it at all. And everybody that went out was under pressure and under, under a strain. I mean, if they realize this is promotion. This is trying to promote. And what we had before was passion, was concern, a moving with seal in his heart and determination. And there is a difference. And I will say this. All the things that we do, all the things that ever happens from here, let's let it happen under passion. Let's not get promotion in on it. When it's passion, there exists spontaneous and urgent witnessing. In other words, it's just spontaneous when it's passion. You're just there. You want to witness. You, nobody's forcing you to. You just want to. And when it's promotion, witnessing has to be coached and coached. Right. Both. Amen. Anybody ever experienced that? Mm -hmm. Where you have to be coached and coached to witness. Right. Tell you how. Tell you when. Tell you where to go. Tell you how to go. Our friend, listen, passion will send you where you need to go. Passion will send you to the right place. Passion, friend, will cause you to know where to go. And you have some words to say when you get there. Right. Passion will do it. Hallelujah. When it's passion, it's a spiritual exercise of a caring heart. When it's promotion, it's religious gimmicks. To achieve ecclesiastical success. Just to give me some time, just to get people in. I'm not going to mention the town, but I am going to say they were one that's Pentecostal. And they were having a Sunday school contest. <laughs> and they went very far from here. And uh, there was quite quite a prize at the end of it. And one church knew that individuals went someplace else and they said just come in long enough to be counted and then go to your own church religious gimmicks promotion what value or what value is it to have 400 on a board and a lot of them just come in long enough to be counted or even have 400 just stay there when there's a promotion you're a promotion gimmick or something or what value is it you see promotion is easier doesn't cost as much. I'm talking about from you. Right. You see, passion costs suffering. Yes, it costs does. prayer. It costs tears. It costs agonizing. It costs patience. It costs waiting. Promotion to snap your finger. Billboards are sent out to you. Places told where you can go. Words wrote on papers to what you can say. No problem with that. That's promotion. But it wasn't promotion that led David Livingston into Africa. It wasn't promotion that sent him there. And he was gone for all those years. And then when they found him, offered to let him live in luxury if he'd come back. He said, no, I'd rather die here with those who my heart is burned in passion for their souls. It wasn't promotion. It wasn't that that caused John Wesley to leave the marble cathedrals of the state church Go out into the fields where he could pour out his burdened heart and soul to those that were spiritually starving. You see, this man had a plan. He was in the state church, had a good income, had a good place to live. But 
It wasn't promotion that took him out of there. It wasn't promotion. His passion burned in him as he walked up and down the streets and saw the needs of hearts and souls and saw that they must be walking in those marble cathedrals. Maybe, maybe would never be in there. It wasn't promotion. It was passion. Took him out of there as he signed his name off, walked out into the street. The people that were starving were tired of baby feeding individuals that wanted nothing. Saw individuals that wanted all things. It was spiritual passion, utterly unknown as far as the natural mind was concerned, that sent Whitfield to England and America, preaching the gospel and weeping every place he went. Yes. Long ago, in Proverbs 29 and 18, there was a saying, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, people perish. And one of the primary elements of vision is passion. Yes. Unless there's a genuine burden for passion for lost souls, the vision of our field and task will never be complete. General Ruth is reported to have said these words to King Edward VII. Your Majesty, some men's passion is gold. Some men's passion is fame. But my passion is souls. Hallelujah. My passion is souls. It overwhelms every desire I've got. Every whimsical little thing that comes along, passion overwhelms it. He said, I don't have a passion for gold. If I have gold, it'll be when I walk on the streets of gold. I don't have passion for fame. If I have fame, it'll be when I enter in to the kingdom of God and hear my name called. But he said, my passion, what burns within me? What makes me rage with anger and hatred against that and holds and loves for the same token where the beginners, his souls of humanity. Oh, God, help us not to lose sight of the fact that there is a hell as well as a heaven. How flames do burn as much as anything else that ever did. We need to realize in the midst of the wave of jet engines, in the crash of old orders, the mesmerism of materialism, the savage competition of this modern life, the great pull toward worldly programs and blazers. Let's ask ourselves the question, have we lost our ear to the cry of the millions that are dying, that have no hope without God in this world? And I have to say to most of us, maybe all of us, have resounded, yes, our ears have become Dim heart of here, the hearts have become callous. We sit and dwell in our own sealed houses in our apathy and our lethargy of sin and debauchery and doubts the world without one testimony, human cry coming and escaping the lips of the church. Compassion will change this. Compassion must change this. Passion burning with fervent zeal and desire. Passion is what we need. Holy passion. Heavenly vision. Such were the characteristics of the early church. Acts 8, 1 and 4 caught my eye. And this is what it said. They were scattered abroad. That's the saints. Persecution scattered them and went everywhere preaching the gospel. Yes. And as I read that, that's a thought in my mind. I just thought, if the 20th century church as it's made up of today. If persecution scattered us, I wonder what our record would be. Most probably, they went everywhere and back to it. Amen? Because sometimes in the persecution and all this arises, the first thing you know, something don't go right, it's easy for somebody to say, well, I don't have to put up with that, I'm just leaving. 
Not to do it again. Nothing bothers him, you know. As if everything was just fine. And things arise in their heart. And this wasn't so with the early Christians. They had the spirit of their master. Paul caught the same vision, and we'll finish up in just a minute. With the same spirit, and he shared it with his son in the ministry, Timothy. And this is what he said, 2 Timothy 4, 1 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Might be good if you make a note here. Because uh, and it's translated from the Greek as Kai, K-A-I. And uh, that can mean even and also as well as and. So read it this way. I charge thee therefore before God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. You kind of do ways you can. Amen? Yes. Because it just lumps them all in one. And Kai, when you want to advance on something, when you want to advance on something, Kai is translated even. And so you're wanting to advance on, on who God is. So you're translating that Greek word even instead of man. Before God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Like God, what a challenge. Reprove? Unheard of in the majority of the modern churches. Rebuke? How then is going to stand for biblical rebuke? 